0: Well, good morning, great to be with you. My name is Darren, and um, I had the privilege of working with Robbie a number of years ago, and um, I have a deep affection for this church, so I appreciate you calling uh, and inviting me to preach here, and I want to invite you to turn in your worship guide to the sermon text. It's a little bit of a long one, but I promise you, it'll be worth it. So would, would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love. In you, Lord, do I take refuge You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. For my eye is wasted from grief my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant and save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame, Let them go silently to shale. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for for those who take refuge in you. In the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his servants his, his steadfast love to me when i was in a besieged city i had said in my alarm i am cut off from your sight but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when i cried to you for help love the lord all you who, all you his saints the lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride be strong and let your heart take courage all you who wait for the lord This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize that as we do, we come from all kinds of different places. Some of us have come in this room and we are in a season of deep and rich blessing and of abundance. Others of us have come here, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Some of us come here in a state of crisis, in a time of sorrow. Uh, in a time of grief, in a time of prolonged uh, difficulty in our bodies. And Lord, I recognize further that uh, some of us come here in faith, believing in you, trusting in you, hoping in you, eager to hear from you in these words this morning. Others of us come here and that couldn't be further from the truth. Some of us uh, feels like our faith is hanging on by a thread, and some of us, no doubt, are here with no faith at all. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in this morning, whether we are um, in in a place of rejoicing or in a place of grief, whether we are coming to you with uh, an abundance of faith or hardly any at all, pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we all come to you ultimately the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to know you, to hear from you, to be changed by you. Would you open our eyes to the person of Jesus Christ, Uh, as he has presented to us in these words. We pray in his name, amen. Amen, well good morning and welcome. It's great to be with you. Uh, As I said, my name is Darren and um, used to be a pastor, currently um, taking some time off from that, but incredibly delighted to be with you this morning. Now, I hope I don't bring back any bad memories, but I uh, I wonder if any of you enjoyed biology class. Did anyone here enjoy biology class? Thank you, I see that hand. Now, did anyone here ever do the, what are they, the uh, taking apart a frog? In, <laughs> right, so, you know, some of you have bad memories from that. I, I actually have a bad memory from that. I think I would enjoy it if I were to do it now. But you know, when you're in school learning information, you know, there's really two types of learning, right? There's the lecture, where you hear from an instructor and you, you learn concepts, and then there's lab, right? That's where you slice open the frog. Right, well, the scriptures have a little bit of a parallel, right? See, I want to say for you my goal in coming to you this morning, what I hope to accomplish. At a basic level, I want to ask the question what does it look like for you to walk with God? God is real, God calls us to walk with Him. What does it look like for you to walk with Him? I want to try to pull out the answer from this passage, you know, and I use this high school metaphor because in the scriptures, if you turn to, for example, the book of Romans, you will hear lecture. You will, under, you will hear the apostle explain what does it look like to have faith. What does that mean for you? And he'll explain it to you. In the Psalms, we have lab, right? In the Psalms, we don't have a lecture on what it looks like. We actually have the real lived experience of a person who is, who is doing this in his or her real life. And I love the Psalms. One of the words that I use when describing the Psalms is, it's kind of like Christianity uncensored, right? It's where you get the real meat and potatoes of what it actually looks like to actually walk with God through real difficulties and through a real experience. And if we look in this passage, you know, it's a long passage, so that can be a little daunting. And one of the things that I find to be helpful is to try to get at the major themes of the passage. And and one of the tools, if you're reading your Bible, one of the ways to usually pull that out with uh, a lot of accuracy most of the time is to look for words that are repeated. And when you look in this passage, the word that seems to come up the most is this word refuge, right? Um, Comes up uh, in verse one, verse two, verse four, and then all the way down at verse 19. Uh, The author is, is offering a prayer to the Lord And he is describing God as his refuge. What does that mean? Well, a refuge is kind of like, uh, also described as a fortress, right? The metaphor is that you're under attack, you're taking artillery, and you have, you know, this building surrounded by sandbags, surrounded by armor, and you're safer inside the building than if you're on the outside. And that is what the, um, that's this word that comes up over and over again. Verse 1, in you, Lord, do I take refuge, Right, verse four, um, you have taken me out of the net they've hidden from me, you've removed me from danger, why? Because you are my refuge, uh, in verse four, for example. So that is what's going on here, and you know, friends, I wanna help you appreciate that, you know, when you think about what does it mean to walk with God, when I say that to you, what, do you, what comes to your mind? Right, what does it look like to, to walk with God? Some of you might say, well, it looks like having, you know, certain ethical standards, it looks like being you know, a man or a woman of integrity. It looks like treating my marriage a certain way. And all of those are true things, but at the basic level in this passage, the very first thing the author is living out, right? He's not lecturing, he's living this out as he's saying, you relate to God as though he is your refuge. He is the place of protection. He is the place of safety. He is the one that you put all of the chips on the table in, particularly when you were in crisis. And friends, you know, I want to highlight this because, you know, Jesus, as he's teaching in the gospels, you know, what does God require of us? What is the work that he requires? What is the answer? He says, it's to believe in him. It's to trust in him. What does that look like? Answer, it looks like that you know God as he is a refuge for you, right? That he is the, the place of safety when you find yourself walking through the various challenges of life. Now, That's nice to say, what does that look like in practice? And I'm gonna try to pull out just a few different observations from this passage about how this person lived that out. What does it look like? So the first observation that is perhaps easily missed, right? what does it look like to walk with God so that he is your refuge? What is the first thing that it looks like? Well, the answer is it looks like it's expressed in prayer. Right, you know, this whole passage is a prayer, it is this person relating to, speaking to God in the midst of his crisis. And this is so easily overlooked, um, I have found in my own life and in my travels. I, um, so I, I told you last time I was here that you know since um, taking time off from the ministry, I've taken up uh, Ubering, I Uber people back and forth. And so I had a, I had a church member call me up and he says, Darren, I really need to meet with you. So, and if I have to, I will hire you as my Uber to talk to you, <laughs> and I was like, well, you can go on the app, but you know, the chances that you'll get me are, you know, <laughs> you might get someone else and have to tell them your problem. So I said, hey, no, no worries, why don't we just come and, and have a chat? And we were talking, and a, you know, very common request, person says, hey, I wanna start leading my home, I wanna start doing, you know, devotions with my wife, I've failed at this a long time, do you have any advice for me? And you know, I'll tell them the same thing that I tell everyone, right? Some, some of you perhaps are in that exact spot here this morning, some of you, you know, wives are are identifying with that from your perspective as well. What is the what does it look like? And I said, you know, the thing that I would start with is prayer. Right? You know, prayer often is um, an underappreciated part of the Christian life, uh, particularly in our tradition. But when we look at the Psalms, it's mostly actually giving us an insight, a view into the private prayers of a person with her God, and so. You know, prayer is undervalued, but prayer is the expression of faith. You know, one of the ways that you can measure, you know, whether you have faith or not, there's a real easy way to measure whether you have faith or not. Look at your prayers, right? Number one, do you pray? And then number two, what does it look like for you to talk to God? You know, and it was interesting because one of the observations that I have, and I, I shared this with a person that I was speaking with, I said, you know, the Bible is absolutely Absolutely precious, and it holds the keys to life. But one of the things I've found in ministry and in my own life is that most people come to me and they feel guilty because they don't read their Bibles enough. Maybe they're not reading it, you know, with their spouses. And what I found is that it's really easy to say, I want to be more self disciplined. Why? So that I can feel better about myself. And what I would say to you this morning is, I hope that never happens. Right? I hope that you don't use the Bible and your discipline disciplined with it to feel better about yourself, right? Because that's not from the Lord. The Lord wants you to know him and he wants the Bible to be a means through which you know him, not through which you feel better about yourself, right? That's what the gospel is for. The gospel is for that, right? The Bible is to lead you to the gospel. And so what I said was, I said, you know, what I would start with is I would start simply with prayer. What do, what do you need? And what are you going to do about it? Meaning, what are you going to ask God to do about it? Start with that. um, And then go from there. Bring the scripture in to teach you to pray. So that's the first thing I would point out for you is that the Christian life is expressed in prayer. Right? And if you're not praying this morning, right, um, perhaps you could start. Perhaps you could talk to God about what are the things that concern you the most and what does he need to do? And if you take one thing away from this message, I would actually be absolutely thrilled over the moon if you would simply make a mental note right in your phone, right on your papers, I really need God to do this for me this season. And I'm going to talk to him about it, pray about it. And then I'm going to look in the scriptures to see if he has anything to say about it. So that's the first thing is that, you know, the Christian life is expressed in prayer And if that's not happening in your life, perhaps that's the one thing God would give you to take away from this message here this morning. So that's the the first thing I want to notice. Uh, The second thing I want to notice is that um, as you relate to God and as you communicate with him in prayer, uh, one of the things that happens is you begin to recognize and heed his leadership in your life. Look at verse 3. Again, this word fortress comes up. For you are my rock and my fortress, you are the one in whom I hide, and for your name's sake, what does it say? You lead me and you guide me. Right? Uh, the, the proverb says, as Robbie's going to be getting into the proverbs, uh, in paths of righteousness. Right? You lead me in paths of righteousness. Excuse me, that's the Psalms. Paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You know, I loved the worship this morning. In fact, I was, I was wanting to I was wondering if the worship was designed for the sermon because it, it fit incredibly well. You know, in the worship we went back to Psalm 139 multiple times, did you notice that? One of the best, one of the best psalms in all of scripture is Psalm 139. Right, talking about God seeing our unformed substance. Right, the, the view of that psalm is he's saying God looked down into the depths of the earth and he picks out the particles of raw material that's going to become Marcus Right, that he looked down and he saw this particle, that particle, the other one. He said, I'm going to move in space of time so that this becomes a person. And I'm going to map out all of the number of days for them. You know, and this psalm is so precious. Uh, at, at one point it says, um, even if I make my bed in the depths of the sea, right? Even if I'm far away from everyone else, even there you will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. And I was thinking about this um, When we had our first child we were living in uh, New York City and when my son turned two we moved to Brooklyn. And we lived in this neighborhood on 51st Street and this was before Uber. So this was a dark time in our nation's history. (laughs) You know where you couldn't just go Uber people to chat with them and you had to actually like pick up the phone and call a cab. And we lived, um, if you've ever been to Sunset Park Brooklyn it's referred to as like the San Francisco of New York City. Not because people shoplift a lot there although that might be true now, I don't know. Um, But because it was very, there were very steep hills. And so we lived on a very steep hill on 51st Street and there was a limousine company on our street, right? And what that meant was that these limos would just come racing down the road really fast. And in fact, I I was told by a neighbor that five children had been hit by cars on our street, you know, in the history. And so we had a young two-year-old who was very uh, energetic and running around all over the place. And I'll tell you, one of the, you know, I, didn't, I haven't figured out a lot in parenting, but one thing I figured out, I can, I can tell you as an accomplishment, I figured out that your kids should not be going in the middle of the street on 51st Street in Brooklyn. Like that was something that I arrived at in my wisdom, <laughs> right? And so I was intent to train my son to not run out into the middle of the street. And that was actually really difficult in a place like that right, so I would, I would kind of let him go, you know, and see if he was going to make a beeline for the street, and I would, you know, bring discipline into his life if he were to do that, right, and so I would always try to, like, not hold his hand to see, to teach him that if he moved into the street, bad idea, but if he moved too far, what did I do? Grabbed him. I grabbed onto him and not let him go, and that's what this passage is telling us, isn't it, right, even there you you will lead me. Not only will you lead me, not only will you tell me what to do, but your right hand will grab hold of me, right? And that's the, you know, that's this uh, description of the relationship we have with God is that he leads and guides us. And when you walk with God, you begin to look for that, right? And you recognize that sometimes God has to grab us. Sometimes he has to get our attention. You know, I was praying on the way over here. I said, Lord, Give me insight into the way that you're leading me in this season. That was my prayer. Perhaps that might be yours as well. So that's the second observation, right? First observation is that a life with God is expressed in prayer. Um, In that prayer, you begin to look for and recognize and discern God's leadership in your life. Where is it that he is taking hold of you? The third observation is that uh, you begin to commit yourself to him. You begin to commit yourself to him. You know, it's, um, this, this passage is actually quoted by the Lord Jesus where he says, into your hand, this is verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. Do you remember him praying this? He prayed this as he's on the cross. And, you know, it's interesting, um, this word commit, right? So um, for a, a while I was kind of into flying these high-performance drones and part of what you do with this is that you, you're trying to fly through these really tight spaces, right? So that was part of the, the hobby. And it was interesting because in the culture uh, of this kind of community of people that would do this, you would fly and you would miss the tight space, you'd crash your drone and you'd have to spend five hours repairing it. And the word that seemed to come up the most as you were learning to do these tricks and fly through these tight spaces, you, want, you wanna know what the word was? It was commit, right? And you know, they would say, listen, when you're gonna go through the tight space, you've gotta commit. Meaning you've gotta decide that you're all in. Either you're gonna crash badly, or you're gonna make it, but if you hesitate, right, you're gonna, you're gonna crash, it's gonna happen. And I remember I was teaching my daughter to skateboard and there's a, a skate park near our house and I have this great video where she's very scared to, to what's called drop in on the ramp, right? Because when you drop in, you've gotta go for it. And I told her, I said, listen, whether you fall or not is going to be determined by how you commit. You've just got to slam the board down, put your weight into it, and go for it. But if you hesitate, you're going to fall backwards. It's what's going to happen. And, you know, it's interesting, right? I I, I like that word because in this passage, it comes up actually a couple of times. What the author is saying, he's saying, God, I commit myself to you. I mean, what, uh, what I think he means by that is saying, just like teaching your daughter to skateboard, right? If you, if you hesitate, if you try to hedge your bet on do I want to go forward or backwards, you're gonna land on your back, right? It's gonna be unpleasant, might have to go to the ER, be $400 deductible, would rather not do that, right? Which is kind of funny about skateboarding. We we'll always protect the head with a helmet but it's usually the back and you know other parts that end up getting hurt. There aren't pads for those, right? So, in this passage where he says, into your hand I commit my spirit, I believe he's actually referring to kind of the same concept, right? When we, when we walk with God, we have to resist the idea to hedge our bets. Well, I'm gonna partially put my life in your hands and partially put it in the solvency of my bank account. I'm gonna partially put it here, but I'm gonna hedge my bets over here on the other side. What we see in the Christian life, and what this person is living is he's saying, my life is entirely ruled by you, and I want to recognize that. And it comes up again in uh, verse 15, which is, I think, one of the most breathtaking uh, lines in in the whole psalmody. as he says this. He says, my times are in your hand. And friends, I would, again, I would ask you not to breeze over this too quickly. Part of living the Christian life, part of all that I'm saying, expressing it in prayer, looking for God's leadership, a big part of it is recognizing that the breath you take right now, the the lunch that you'll have, the the next season of your family, your career, what happens to your bodies, right? All of these things are ultimately in, your times are in God's hand. And I, I hope that you allow that to encourage you this morning. Right, it's real easy to think of yourself as having to exert provision, control, and success for your life and for those who depend on you, right? And some of you feel the weight of this really intensely. And the Spirit of Christ, as he is communicating to us through the Psalms this morning, wants you to know and recognize and take comfort in the fact that your life is, is under God's control right now. That you are living and breathing and existing and moving forward in space and time in his hand. And his hand is good. That's what he wants you to recognize. And it's interesting, right? Because when you do recognize it, what's one of the ways you know you do? Well, if you turn the page and you look at verse 19, what does it lead? It leads this person who is in a state of profound crisis, right? Things are not going well. He describes his life as sighing his eye is being exhausted from tears. Right, He's in a bad place. And then what happens in verse 19? He is led into this profoundly deep and real and good worship. Right? He is led to worship. Right? He is led from the place of despair to the place of joy. Joy has come in the morning for him. And you know, that is, I, I do believe, that is the will of Christ for you, right? The will of Christ is that you walk through times that are so difficult, right, that in the lab of this world that you were led to him in a new way to seek him as your refuge, to recognize the leadership in, his, in your life, and then finally to see your life as existing in his hand, and from there, what happens? You were led into worship, and so we, we respond to that by entrusting our whole selves to him, by committing to him, by saying, you know what? I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm going to commit entirely to you. And one of the ways we do that that comes up uh, here in verse 9 is we do that by depending upon his grace. Right, so look at verse 9. He says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. Right, the psalmist recognizes that the life that we live to God is one where we live in constant reception of his grace, right? You know, and it's, again, it's one of the reasons why I, I, I feel like um, the temptation to boast in your Bible reading, right, is so dangerous, right? Because the temptation to do that is to take a step away from being in reception of God's grace, right? But God wants us to re- relate to him in such a way that we are constantly aware of the, of the amount of grace that we are receiving. And if you wanna know God, if you're here today and you're saying, I don't know about this Christianity stuff, what does it really look like? Answer is, it looks like growing and increasing awareness of your own flaws and increasing awareness of God's rich, and unconditional, and overwhelming, and unrelenting love for you. Right, I absolutely loved uh, that first song that we sang this morning. It says we're constantly, you know, something that, the idea that we're constantly receiving good things from God and we're constantly failing. And you know, I'll tell you that I've been a Christian for you know, upwards of 30 years and I, I stand here 100 times more aware of my failures today than I did 30 years ago. I stand here in, in some ways feeling more broken than I ever have in my entire life um, and more in awe of Christ than I ever have in my entire life. So uh, that is what happens as we walk with God. Uh, we, We express it through prayer, we recognize his leadership, we commit ourselves, and then we relate to him in his grace. And you know, it's interesting because I've been describing here this passage as a lived experience. Right? And this, this very much was and is a lived experience. It's written by David, of course. It's not here in our worship guide, but if you look in your Bibles, it'll ascribe the authorship to David. But one of the interesting things about the scriptures is that uh, in some cases, in many cases, what is, act, what is looked at as a psalm of David actually is lived out in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? And in this passage, it's really easy to see Why? because Jesus actually quotes it in his darkest hour. We said that earlier, right? Jesus is on the cross and he says, into your hand I commit my spirit. He quotes this Psalm. And you know, part of the Christian story here is that as we walk with God, as we seek to do that, as we fail to do that over and over and over again, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity is unique among all the religions of the earth in that only in Christianity do you, do you have anything closely resembling a message that says God has become like you so that he could sympathize with you, so that when you worship him, he is, he is very different, but he is also very close, right? And you know it's interesting because I was thinking about this line about verse nine, be gracious to me, O Lord. How could Jesus pray that? How could Jesus, who was without sin, pray something like this, right? And I do think that one answer might be that this psalm, uh, as expressed by David and as quoted by Christ, is Christ praying that for me and you, right? That Christ didn't have his own sins, but it says that he bore our sins, that surely he has carried our griefs, he has borne our sorrows, right? Surely, and it's interesting, this passage actually resembles Isaiah 53, where it says people didn't even want to look at him People hid their faces from him. Right? That Jesus bore all of the shame, all of the sin, all of the diseases. Surely he heals our diseases. He took upon all that death, all that brokenness, all that sorrow in himself so that you could relate to him as your Savior and that he could sympathize with you as a high priest. That's what Hebrews 4 says. And so we're going to come to the the Lord's table here. Robbie's going to lead us uh, to the table. And my hope and my prayer is that perhaps today would be a day of renewal for you. Perhaps it would be for you a day where you come back to prayer, where you see and you taste afresh of Christ's deep and unrelenting love for you, where you know him as the one who leads you, where perhaps you would commit to him today, and you would say, I want to commit my whole self to you. I don't want to hedge my bets. And where you'd know him, as the gracious God that he is. So may pray for us that we would all approach in this way together. Father God, we do worship you this morning and we thank you that you have given us the Psalms. We thank you for those uh, men and women who have gone before us and who have taught us what it looks like to walk with you. Lord, I pray for each one in this room. I pray for the children uh, who are crawling about in the room next door. I pray that you would protect us from evil, that you would lead us into your presence that we would walk with you as sinners uh, in need of grace and that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Thank you for our time in the scriptures this morning. We do pray in Jesus' name, amen.